So uh, we are <clears throat> marching through the book of Acts. We're in Acts 2. It's the day of Pentecost. And we're right at the point where Peter is going to step up and preach the first public sermon ever preached uh, by a, a local church, if you will. And Peter was a fisherman. And I am a fisherman. And I just got back from the men's fishing trip late last night. So I'm dressed for the part. This is uh, the fisherman sermon. And it's one of the greatest sermons ever preached, not mine, Peter's. And so we're going to uh, jump into that. But like every great uh, sermon, there's always a question that's being addressed. And the question that we left uh, last week, the, the people were asking there in Jerusalem, what does this mean? What does this mean? People were gathered, thousands within the, the, the center there of Jerusalem where they were people from many, many nations, and they're hearing this group of followers of Jesus proclaim the mighty deeds of God in all these different languages that they could not possibly know. There's power. And the question is, what does this mean? That is the question of the day. Let's bring it to the text. Acts 2, verse 12 through 21. If you would please stand and let's read the word of God together. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Thank you so much. Please be seated and let's pray together. Lord, as always, we come uh, here at Colonial, we just open your word. I, I have nothing to say that uh, is of any value. We, we really want to hear from you. And I pray that you'll speak through me and through this message, that most specifically you'll speak through the word, and that you'll open our minds to understand what, what happened and what is happening that we might find our place and understand where we are. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. This is going to be one of those uh, sermons where I just kind of run through the text and we're going to make some observations. We're not going to get to where we can kind of tie it all together. This is a long sermon that Peter preaches and, and uh, we'll, we'll be in it for the, for the next couple of weeks anyways. So I want to take some time and at least help you to understand what Peter's dealing with here. You know, 
whenever the Holy Spirit moves through the church, in any way that there's power, there's always going to be two groups of people. There's going to be two really significant responses. And you can count on this. And we see it in the text. Some people are going to be intrigued and genuinely interested to learn more. You know, these people, when they see Jesus followers proclaiming truth with boldness and conviction, when they experience mercy and generosity in the name of Christ, when the church shows up in the midst of their crisis, you know, if it's disaster relief or their loved one is, is sick or, or dying or, or whatnot, they will ask the question that we hear in the text today, what does this mean? Why would you pray for me? Why would you show up in, with a meal? Why, why? What does this mean? And as believers, we love, love, love when people ask the question, what does this mean? It gives us an opportunity to share the gospel and tell them about Jesus and the forgiveness of sins and the one who is our hope. But you know what? There's, there's always going to be another group of people. And we see it in the text, those people who respond to the witness of the church with skepticism and mockery. Here in verse 13, their response is noted. They, those crazy Jesus freaks, are drunk on new wine. That's really a comical moment in the text. It really is. I mean, and, and it, I'm sure it happened because it's almost a, kind of an embarrassing accusation to be recorded within this story. Listen, no matter how careful or thoughtful or generous or sincere we are as followers of Christ, no matter how miraculous or brilliant or inexplicable the works of God are presented, no matter how convincing and eloquent the argument is made for God's existence and his love for humanity, there will always be those present who will respond with mockery and insult. That was true for Jesus. That was true for the early church. It will most definitely be true for us when we attempt to proclaim Christ in the public realm, uh, in the company of, of a large group of, of unbelievers. There's going to be those people who will insult and mock. And Peter is going to address them, but he's going to spend way more time answering the questions of those who are gen, you know, genuinely asking, what does this mean? And that's a great lesson for us all. We do need to address the mockers or the skeptics, but most of the time, they're really not open to learning. They're really not all that interested. And uh, we can burn up an awful lot of time you know, going to war with, with, with those who mock and insult us. It's, it's really not a great use of our time. It's a far better use of our time to address those who are genuinely asking the question, what does this mean? And that's exactly what Peter's going to do. Now, it is interesting that Peter is the one, verse 14, who stands up and lifts up his voice and addresses the crowd because 50 days ago, Peter, this same guy, denied even knowing Jesus Christ and kind of cussed at the woman who asked her. And then when Jesus saw him across the courtyard, he fled and wept like a baby. This, one, this man was broken and cowardly, afraid, and then something happened, right? The empty tomb. And Jesus comes to him, and we have this beautiful story in John 21 where Jesus takes him out for breakfast, fixes him, you know, fish breakfast, which is what you eat if you're a fisherman for breakfast, right? <laughs> And three times he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter was like, oh, Lord, I do. And Jesus said, well, then feed my sheep. Three times, feed my sheep. 
tell them. And you know that conversation and that breakfast is fresh on the mind of Peter. On this day of Pentecost, as the Holy Spirit fills him with power and the other disciples and followers of Jesus and they're proclaiming the mighty deeds of God and the crowd begins to ask the question, what does this mean? And the mockers begin their mocking and insulting and Peter knows, time to feed the sheep. Time to step up and tell them. And so he does, he steps up and uh, This is the first public sermon ever preached by the early church. This is such a powerful moment. And what we see in verse 14 is not insignificant. He says, but Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ears to my words. Now, I don't know if, you know, I mean, I was downtown the other day. It was me and a few other people, like 800,000 other people. (laughs) And I was tempted you know, to step up on a high place and say, give me your ears. I want to tell you about Jesus. And just to see how that would go. Uh, But in this world in which Peter lived, you know, in in the ancient community, people learn by hearing far more than they learn by reading. And so it was not uncommon that an orator would step up and and declare, lend me your ears. You know, you've, you've heard people say that kind of thing. Uh, and skits or plays are different. That, that was actually the way it was. They learned by hearing the news of the day, what was happening around the world. Travelers would come, orators would stand in the public square, and they would demand to be heard. So we actually can assume that this very large crowd in Jerusalem would quickly assemble, and they would actually give ear to Peter with curiosity and respect because that was the norm in the ancient world. Now, demanding an audience in the 21st century is a bit trickier. In fact, we actually can't even demand an audience, can we? I, I can't go out there to the Royal Stadium or, or some large public venue and say, I demand that you hear what I have to say. Instead, in the 21st century, we have to earn an audience, don't we? And how do we earn an audience? How do we earn the right to be heard through acts of mercy, generosity, friendship, and service? It's not easy to earn an audience amongst those who are far from God. But listen, if we don't do the work to earn an audience. We're just preaching to ourselves. Amen? This is not an insignificant piece of this story. So Peter then, he raises his voice. He has his audience. He begins to address them. And the first thing he does in verse 15 is he responds to the mockers because they're loud. And he has to, right? And he says, these people, the disciples of Jesus, are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. Now, in, in the ancient world, in the Jewish world anyways, they, they mark time by the amount of daylight. So we're assuming, you know, if the sun rises around 6, that this is about 9 o'clock in the morning. And that would be the traditional hour of prayer. So, you know, then the meal would come after that, and maybe there would be a taste of wine with the meal, but not likely that early in the day. So Peter appeals to common sense. You know, basically making the point that the disciples are proclaiming the righteousness of God. They're the last people who are going to be drunk, you know, during the hour of prayer, even before a meal. And that clearly was a pretty strong argument because he doesn't pursue it any further. And I think this is important, too, that, you know, Peter addresses the skeptic and the mocker. He doesn't get offended. He simply addresses what they're saying. And then, you know, he moves on to the greater multitudes who are asking the question, what does this mean? 
Now, every great pastor knows that you begin by appealing to Scripture. That's exactly what Peter does. Even as a fisherman, the Holy Spirit's working through him. He says, look at the Word of God. He's going to lead them to the prophecy that we find in Joel. Uh, And this is a really, really important uh, prophecy. And I'm not going to be able to get through Peter's whole sermon. We're just going to deal with this one, this piece of it today. Uh, But here's what he's going to be trying to do. He's going to help answer the question, what does this mean, by pointing to where they are. You know, if you've ever been to the mall, nobody ever goes to the mall anymore. But when I was a kid, we all went to the mall. And uh, there was this big sign there and and had an arrow that said, you are here. And in many respects, the very first thing that Peter's going to do in addressing the question of what does this mean, is he's going to draw a big arrow and says, you are here. Let me show you. Let's look at this text from Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall see uh, dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke, The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great magnificent day, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He quotes this scripture, and he's going to say in no uncertain terms, you are here. This is where we are. This is the day that Joel was prophesying about. Why? Well, because God is pouring out his spirit. And men and women, the disciples of Jesus, are prophesying. You're saying, whoa, whoa, they're speaking in tongues. No. In the ancient world, there was a difference between speaking in tongues and prophesying. Speaking in tongues required an interpreter. So it was like a language that nobody really understood. But if people understood the word of the Lord that came through people filled with the Spirit, that was prophecy. So this is actually prophesying what they're doing on this day of Pentecost. This is his case. This prophecy has come to pass, and at least the beginning of the last days has come with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit of God in power. More signs and wonders are to come. Judgment is coming. There will be a final end of this age marked by the day of the Lord. But in the time that remains, beginning now, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, I'm not going to be able to go beyond this point, so we're going to camp out here for just a little bit before we wrap up our message. Let me deal with the three most distracting words in this entire text. The last days. Lord have mercy. We love to talk about this right now, don't we? There are so many books being written and published about the end times. The 21st century church, especially in America, is obsessed with the study of eschatology uh, you know, BSF meets in our church. Uh, it's the largest ever attended because they're doing revelation. Everyone's so interested in the end times and the last days. Let me ask you a question. How many of you think that we are currently in the last days? You're, you know, you think about you. We're in the last days. Let me tell you with 100% absolute certainty, we are in the last days. Now, let me tell you why. I don't tell you that because of what's happening in Israel or Iran. I don't tell you that based upon, you know, any number of books written by people who are saying that Christ is going to return in our lifetime. 
This is a simple observation made from the text. And this is so important, so let's deal with it so we can find some common ground and we can move ahead into Peter's passage uh, and message. First of all, according to the text, the last days begin on the day of Pentecost. The last days begin on the day of Pentecost. Everything from Pentecost until the second coming of Christ, that whole period is called the last days. Now, you, you may be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I thought there was going to be like blood moons and all these kind of different things happening. Let me explain something to you. When we look at the Bible, it gives us what we call a biblical worldview. And the biblical worldview of history is not cyclical, it's linear. It has beginning and it has an end. And like any great narrative, it has chapters. And you really could develop six chapters generally out of, and I just made these for you. I mean, you know, there's no chapter one, chapter two in terms of the narrative. But you can read this if you read the Bible. You have the creation, the fall, God revealing himself to Israel. Then you have Jesus. Jesus enters in. He's got his own chapter. And it's his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection and ascension. And then you have the last days marked by the outpouring of God's Holy Spirit. And then you have the day of the Lord when he comes again. And that will introduce the new age. This is the narrative of the Bible. This is the biblical worldview of history. And so when we talk about the last days, it's introduced when, according to the prophet Joel and according to Peter, and this is why he's quoting the scripture right now in Jerusalem, it starts now. It starts with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That word outpouring is literally like a massive deluge of rain upon dry and thirsty ground. Whenever in history did that happen, it happened this day. It is, it is the chapter, turn the page, it starts now. The last days begin on Pentecost. He's saying, ah, you know, I don't know. I've read a lot of books from other people who... Listen, eschatology is uh, one of those deals where everybody has an opinion. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. All right? You're saying, well, it says a lot. Well, okay. Let's look at the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul, one of the most famous passages read by everyone who's like to talk about how terrible things are now compared to what they used to be, and now the scriptures are coming to pass. Listen to what Paul says. First Timothy, uh, sorry, 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanders without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. You're like, yes! <laughs> that, that describes it. We are in the last days. I agree with you. But then look what Paul says next. Avoid such people. He's writing to Timothy. Timothy is pastoring the church in Ephesus. He's not saying these last days are going to come, but you're not going to see it's going to come like 2,000 years from now. It's going to get bad. You think it's bad now. It's going to be really bad. Those are going to be the last days. He's saying, no, the last days are now. These people are here now. This is happening in your church. It's happening in your community. Don't get wrapped up with that. He absolutely had every sense that the last days were upon him even then. Paul, again, 1 Corinthians 10, 11, he's, he's acknowledging all the lessons learned from their history as the Jewish people, and he writes, now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the age has come. 
You know, and, and here's what's interesting is that modern scholars will say, well, Paul just, he kind of thought he was living in the last days like Jesus was going to return at any time. Yes, he did. The early church bled and died and gave witness and changed the world because they absolutely believed Jesus was coming back at any time. The last day started on the day of Pentecost. And nothing has changed. How about 2 Peter 3, 3 and 4? Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the Father fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Listen, he's not writing to the church 2,000 plus years later. He's, he's quoting his opponents and he's equipping the first century church to deal with the fact that people thought he was maybe coming back a week or two or a month or a year or a couple years after he ascended. And now they're being mocked. They're being scoffed saying, oh, he ain't coming back. He's gone. He's dead. Nothing's changed. In fact, they're making a point that their understanding of history is cyclical. Nothing's changed. It just goes around all life as a circle. That was the opposing historical worldview to the Christian, Judeo-Christian worldview that it's linear, that it's going someplace. And Peter's equipping the early church to say, no, no, it's going someplace. We're not there yet. But the end will come. When is the end? The day of the Lord, when Christ returns. How about the, the writer of Hebrews? Hebrews 1, uh, verse 2. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Creator, last days, he's coming again, right? These last days. The understanding was the last days are now. Now that isn't to say that they were wrong I mean, in, in light of eternity, 2,000 years is not a long time. 20,000 years is not a long time in light of all of eternity. But the last days is a chapter in the narrative. It starts at Pentecost. It ends when Christ returns. We are in the last days. I don't want to belabor that point. I know many of you will send me emails and quote Jonathan Kahn. I appreciate that. Listen, there's a lot of modern-day prophets out there writing a lot of books who are going to tell you that Christ is going to come in our lifetime Come, Lord Jesus, I'm ready to go. How about you? All right? But I'm not, I'm not in a hurry because my brother's not ready. And a lot of people I know in this world are not ready. Millions of souls do not know who Jesus is. They have not repented. They have not called upon his name. As I understand scripture, that doesn't end well. I have work to do, and so do you. Let me just be perfectly clear. We are, we have been, and we will be in the last days until Christ returns. When Jesus returns is not any of our business. He said he didn't know. He said it's not for us to know. The disciples wanted to sit around and stare in heaven and wait for him to come back. He sent angels to say, get on your way. You have work to do. He said, be ready. The master's going to come back in an hour that you can't possibly know. And he better find his servants at work. I mean, it's a, you know, we dealt with that passage in Luke. It's, it's a sobering message of don't stand around and be content that you're saved and wait for heaven. Don't stand around and, and try to figure out the, the times and the seasons. This is the harvest time. He said the fields are, are ripe for harvest. Pray that the Lord of harvest sends workers. 
That's us. We have work to do. What we are to do in the last days is the unique, clear testimony and witness and instruction that we find in the New Testament. And it's just what it was. It remains simply this. We call people to repentance to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are to be his witnesses where we are and to make him known to the ends of the earth. We are to make disciples and teach people to obey everything that Christ commanded us. We are to care for orphans and widows and demonstrate our love for Jesus by the way that we love and stand in the gap for those who are oppressed, those who are hungry, thirsty, the incarcerated, the lonely, and the afflicted. We are to pray constantly. We are to sing with praise, with joy to our Father in worship. And we are to be thankful in all circumstances. I mean, that is instruction from God through the word for how we are to live in these last days. I want to urge you to stop wasting your time trying to figure out the end times and when Christ is going to return. And all, the, you know, I mean, I, it's addictive, but it does not bear fruit. May we not be that church who is so distracted with eschatology and what might come and what all the signs and wonders and all these kind of things that we ignore the people who, are, who live right next to us, the people we go to school with, the people we work with. We have been saved to serve. We have been saved to bear witness to the gospel in these last days until he comes again. And I hope that we will make the most of the time. Listen, you are here. Big yellow arrow. This is it. Jesus Christ, crucified and resurrected, was the climax of all human history. Everything after that is to send in action. It's the harvest season. And then he's coming back. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I pray that we will be faithful in these last days. You have not sent us out into the harvest fields powerless. You have sent your Holy Spirit upon us. As we call upon the name of Christ in repentance, you have given us power and gifts that we might make the gospel known, that we might serve and earn an audience with people who are far from you, that, that the harvest would be plentiful. And I pray that we would go out of here as those filled with the Holy Spirit, understanding where we are, understanding who we've been saved to be, that we would bear witness with our lives, that we would earn an audience with our love, that we would speak boldly, even in the midst of mockers, and simply point this world to you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.